Hi, I'm Jeremy Simon. Welcome to another episode of 3D Universe Untethered. Today we're going to be talking about Smart Slice, which is a plugin for the Ultimaker Cura slicing software, which can automatically optimize your slicing parameters in order to achieve certain physical requirements for your printed parts. This can take a lot of the guesswork out of a very complex process that has many different variables involved. And instead of just trial and error, you can quickly identify the optimal parameters for getting your part printed the way you need. So let's start with some introductions. Doug, how about you first? So I'm Doug Kennick. I'm the CEO of Teton Simulation, actually a fairly newly minted CEO. Uh, I originally came into Teton as a, a product manager because that's most of my background and I have a lot of experience in continuous fiber composite materials, which are very analogous to um, the FFF process. So um, Teton is, is a company, we're based in Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, our mission is to print better parts faster. And like the motto basically is print with purpose. Uh, we develop add-in software toward to traditional slicers. Uh, and what we do is allow users to optimize slice settings to minimize print time and material use while ensuring the part is functional. So basically it won't break when it's put into service. Uh, back in my time when I was at Autodesk working on their generative design solutions, kind of what I found is, you know, generative design is really, really good to create geometries based on strength and stiffness. But what it doesn't do is take into account the manufacturing process. So a lot of the times, you know, you're, it's additive manufacturing is kind of bi-directional design influences manufacturing and manufacturing influences design. And it's kind of like a handshake, right? That needs to be occurring on both sides. And most generative design technologies or topology optimization technologies, they don't take into that account. It's very unidirectional or design. You take some sort of an idea of a manufacturing process and you push it forward. And it works pretty well for like metals in 3D printing, and castings and things like that with materials and processes that behave what I'm going to call isotropic, which is a, a, a weird word, but uh, we can dive into that later. But, you know, when you have a process like FFF, where the process itself, how you print it influences the strength so much, you kind of have to go backwards, which is a weird way to think about it. And that's, that's what Smart Slice, that's why we created Smart Slice, is to help users gain confidence. I think, Jeremy, or Jason, sorry, you, you put it eloquently that way, that the part that you're going to print is the part that's going to work when you put it in right. service because what people have been doing is tribal knowledge, right? And that's, you know, Jason, what you were talking about as well is you just tweak it, you get a feel mm -hmm. for what comes out the other end and what you need to do. Like how long does that take? And so, you know, that's really what we're about is to allow users to gain confidence that their part is going to behave as expected. And that allows them to trust the printer, which is really the only way I believe that we're going to get into the, you know, these production level types of workflows where you are creating functional parts because otherwise it is just a toy. Right. So, yeah, so that's kind of where, you know, the background on Teton and where we're at. But. Okay. Thanks, Doug. And now I have the pleasure of introducing one of my favorite customers, Jason Enders from RE Suspension. Jason has been a pleasure to work with over the years, and he's been doing some really cool things with 3D printing, just leveraging it more and more in his business. So Jason, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and RE Suspension? Sure. So I'm Jason Enders, and uh, I own RE Suspension, which is located in Mooresville, North Carolina. 
and we sell and service uh, shock absorbers for racing um, from NASCAR and Indy cars all the way down to, you know, your local dirt track uh, stock cars. So um, we started this about uh, 19 years ago, actually, 19 years ago yesterday, and um, been going hard at it ever since. So tell us a little bit about the how you got into sort of doing your own in-house 3D printing and how that's part of the business. So <laughs> 3D printing, it started, um, I had a customer come in one day and we were sitting on the front counter and talking and I had just uh, designed and prototyped a, a new widget for race cars and I was showing it to them and I was sitting there belly aching about how much it cost to just prototype this one part and he had he had just read an article or seen something about MakerBot had this new desktop printer and it was like three thousand twenty five hundred dollars three thousand dollars and and I, I was like dude there's you know there's no way it's like I know what 3d printers are and like they're expensive and so he left and I went back and looked it up and that's like, well, I'll be dang. So I, I ordered it right there and, um, started playing around with it and, you know, just really just playing. I wasn't prototyping anything, just trying to figure out how it works and what the, what the 3d printers want to see in the slicing software wants to see and how to orient the parts. And, you know, I was playing around with it and I had, had a, <laughs> I had a whole lot of trouble with that printer which is how I got to you, Jeremy. Um, I'd, I'd got fed up with it and um, called one of your guys, I think he still works there, um, called him and you guys directed me towards uh, an Ultimaker 2 or a 2 plus, no, it was a 2 at the time. And um, so once I started playing with it and, you know, using building dumb stuff, you know, business card holders and whatnot around the shop. It's like, all right, let's see how we can utilize this within the company. And we started making, it started off, you know, making fixtures around the shop and, you know, trays to hold pistons and shims to um, actually 3D printing functional brackets. And uh, we use 3D printing a lot for when we test for data acquisition. So on a lot of these race cars, we'll have uh, potentiometers and string pots and pitot tubes and <clears throat> all over the car. And the problem is, is <laughs> making all these little brackets to to attach these this instrumentation to race cars is insanely time consuming and it used to be expensive. So that's where we really started using 3D printing as a as a functional tool in the shop instead of a toy you know like we got it and then here and i was playing with it and it's like we could use that so we're making all kinds of brackets and and stuff and then it evolved into us you know using making it uh making tools and all kinds of stuff up to we have end products now that we sell on the website which is part of the case study that we did with smart slice on you know one of our parts so it's a uh, it's become Excellent. a very integral part of of what we do so it sounds like as that 3D printing capability has grown and you've been, been able to see what you can do and the quality that you can get, you've been discovering more and more ways you can make use of it, including these oh, end-use parts now? Every day, yep. Okay. 
All right. So then um, as you I want to talk a little bit about what brings us into this discussion, which is sort of how you went about prototyping um, traditionally, just having this 3D printer. You want to come up with a new part. How do you figure out the right settings? How do you get it to where it's strong enough, works the way that you want uh, prior to mm-hmm. having Smart Slice? And then we'll talk a little bit about what Smart Slice introduces and what your experience was bringing that into the picture. Sure. So let's talk first about how, how, how would you go through this with a part, especially where that has some element of where strength matters or it needs to hold up to certain sort of physical requirements. How, how would you have handled that previously? Yep. So, well, just like I said, you know, when we first got the printer, I just play default settings, default settings, hit print and see what you have. And, uh, um, back at the time I was using, uh, simplify 3d and Cura both. And they both have phenomenal, tutorials help you know mm-hmm. it's like you know to between you know the parts breaking you you know increasing wall thickness and and infill and number of top layers and bottom layers and you can play with the different infills and how strong they are depending on what you need on top of orientation right so really before it was it was trial and error. It, it's like you, you print it and it breaks. It's like, okay, yeah. well, how did it break? And you got to look at it and, you know, play. It's like, well, you know, I printed it with the layers like this and that's, that, that shouldn't have done that. We should have gone the other way to make it stronger and playing. And you just, I just played with it until it didn't break. Yeah. And as time, and like you said, there's, there's a lot of variables in that process, right? You mentioned oh, so them. many so, variables. So you might get it to where it doesn't break, but you don't necessarily know if you found the optimal nope. combination of settings, no clue. right? No clue. That. It either yeah. broke or it didn't, right? Yeah. Okay. So as as time goes on, you get faster with it, right? Because, I mean, you know, it's like this part doesn't require anything. So two walls and, and 10% infill and it's it's fine. But, you know, the parts that require strength just from messing with these things every day and printing stuff that break it's like you get you kind of get a feel for what it needs but you you really have no way of quantifying it and above and beyond that no one wants to take the time to really go through and dissect well how did it break and why did it break and you're looking at it it's like you throw it away and you increase wall thick you just mess with it until it's right so and it's again the the longer you mess with the software you you get a good feel for it but i'm sure there's so much stuff that i what do you want to call it overprinted right. you know just just to in it you know it took you know seven hours longer in the printer than it really needed to but it's like well it didn't break so you, you move on you know exactly and exactly you know it goes back to smart slice when when you introduced me to this and I started thinking, it's like, oh man, I don't, how many hours in the printer could I have saved, you know, let alone the strength. It's like, cause we all can make strong parts. I'm print it solid, you know, it's like, but right. <laughs> so, doesn't necessarily mean that's optimal. <laughs> right. Exactly. But so this came along and it, I mean, before I even got the software, it's like, uh, I can see where this is going to be a home run, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what I thought too. I knowing what you do, I just immediately seemed like something that you should be aware of. So, so I thought it would be great to get you guys together. I'm so glad we were able to do this and and connect you guys. Jason, tell me a little bit about this process as we went through this uh, exploration together. 
Um, what, let's start with what you decided to use for this experiment. What, what part or parts did you guys zero in on to test out with Smart Slice? Oh, well, it was, it was very unfortunate timing. So you, you guys, <laughs> I think it was you, Jeremy, called, or no, it was somebody from Smart Slice called, and it's like, hey, we're going to do this, and we're looking for some parts. And I remember I turned around, and I just had a, a I had just run an entire batch of those piston trays that we were doing actually for another customer. And um, uh, I had had issues with the the post breaking off. So if if you know your viewers want to go back and you know pull up that case study from Smart Slice, basically it was it was just a really big round post with a really small post on top of it, which you know it, as a designer when I designed it and I'm looking at it, it's like oh, like that's going to be tough, right? So so they'd called and it's like, well, I just happen to have this part right here. And, and, you know, we took off and ran with the piston tray because, you know, I, we're selling these things like 20 at a time. And the customer calls like, well, we broke four of them. I need, you know, six more. So, you know, I was playing around with the wall thickness right there and just, you know, trying to modify that one section and not, again, right back to, you know, where this whole thing started. It's like, I didn't know if it was over-designed, under-designed. And so they, they ran the case study and what impressed me actually more than, you know, getting these things to stop breaking was they took like, if I remember, it was like three and a half hours of print time out of it. <laughs> and that's that was big for a, something that was taking like 18 hours to print. I don't remember the actual numbers, but it was it was a considerable time saving. So, you know, I can when that job's running and I got to do 20 of them. I mean, the, the printer's tied up for two weeks. I, I can't do anything else. So if we can cut three hours apart out of there, it's like I can get a couple days back you know, of getting new parts onto the printer. So there was a couple other things there. Uh, we had a, um, a a dash bracket that we were making for a flat track motorcycle. And it was a rear end bracket that just had way too much load on it for anything plastic. So um, we, we did all three and the out of the dash bracket, there wasn't much time saved but the the issue it was the same deal with the with the um dash bracket was it was a it was kind of a flat bar with just a post on top and if the thing took any kind of a side load it would it wouldn't necessarily break off but it would crack and bend it so and and it's ran it through the the software and fixed <laughs> so you know okay that that's interesting so i want to sorry jeremy i wanted to no, kind of go back to the piston tray. So you said, you know, like customers calling and they're saying, I need four more. Like that's a good problem for you to have in one viewpoint, right? Cause it's like, on one viewpoint, more but on the other <laughs> hand there, it's like, dude, if you can't fix this, I'm going to find something else to do. So, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. So, so and, and, and they understood that it was 3d printed and, and it's like, if you drop these things off of a top of an eight foot cabinet and it hits the floor on the post, it's like, dude, oh, I'm, yeah. it, it's going to break. I, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. but they were breaking yeah, I, I agree with them. It's like it's breaking too thin, and sure. I, there there was no way that I could put, you know, a bigger radius where you know that that post comes up because we had shims shims and pistons that sit all the way down on it. So you know my radius had to be real minimal 
at that at that edge. So, and, and what I found so interesting about that specific case study is, if you wanted to increase the strength of that using like traditional knowledge, you either had to change the material and guess, or mm -hmm. you had to literally print the entire thing solid. Um, or like different raft orientation or, or change orientation, whatever you want to call it, right? Which is like, right. that's just a huge waste of time and material. Huge. And, and it was a, like, Smart Slice was actually able to go in and just, I, I don't know if people know this, but in Cura, there's something called a, like an idea of a modifier mesh. Mm -hmm. where like you have a big geometry and you can bring in another piece of geometry and you can ask Cura to locally modify slice settings based on this other geometry. And, and Smart Slice takes advantage of that and we'll put these little modifier meshes in there and locally tweak slice settings to make parts stiffer and stronger just in the certain volume, mm -hmm. um, which is a which is what we did for that, or which it did automatically for that piston tray. Is it just like, look, every time that you have the diameter change, just insert a new mesh there and increase the thickness. And now all of a sudden you have a part that survives, but you're not increasing the print time drastically. And actually turns out we reduced the print time. So big time. So that's because, super interesting. Because, yeah, because, well, before, you know, when I would increase my infill and walsa, it, it did it throughout the whole the whole part. So, you know, down at the base of this part, you know, I had it at, at 35 or 40 percent infill. Well, it did the whole thing at that. Well, the base doesn't sure. – the base can be 10 because yeah. there, there's, there's nothing – there's no stress on that part. So, you know, by, by decreasing what the base was and then just putting, like you said, modifying it just where it needs to be modified, it, it, it killed a bunch of time out of the yeah. part. Yeah. Yeah, I've done videos before on the uh, modifier meshes that Doug talked about with Cura, and there's some great capabilities. But that that's what I've seen always is the, the real key value here with Smart Slice is that it, it takes away the guesswork of how to use those very powerful tools. Yep. Uh, okay, I have a modifier mesh. I can customize any region of my print with all these different settings, but what needs to be modified and how? <laughs> right. So, uh, Smart Slice takes care of that hard part. And it, it occurs to me, um, I want to get your input on this, Doug. Um, when I think about how you can deal with some of these challenges of a part maybe that isn't holding up to certain stresses, obviously there's the design side of things. You talked about some of that with generative design and some of those other approaches. But however you do it, somehow going back to the original design and modifying that design in order to strengthen or thicken or somehow modify the part is one option. It seems to me that Smart Slice in some way sort of relieves a little bit of that burden of making sure that the design is perfect. Uh, I don't know if you, you would agree with that, that you can take a part that m might not have ideal design considerations, especially when you think about how it's going to be printed, and you can compensate for that by adjusting the way it's being sliced. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, and I think this goes back to my comment where it's, it's kind of bi-directional, but I think we kind of got to get back to the root of the problem, which is like, how do you, there's this term that's being thrown around in the industry and I, I cringe when I hear it. And I'm sorry for those of those people that use it and like it, but it's called design for additive manufacturing. D, like DFAM is the short of it. It's thrown around in the software world a lot. And like, what does that mean? Right? Like this comes down to education at the end of the day really is what, cause like injection molding had this same problem and we didn't call it like DFIM. Right. right. It's like, like <laughs> go learn how to design for the process at right. the end of the day. Yeah. The problem is there's way too many variables here. Like, especially right. with FFF, there are way too many variables on the, on the, 
actual like manufacturing side to get educated on all of it. Like it comes down to tribal knowledge and that's, this is extremely difficult to grasp. So you need tools to help you understand how to do it. Right. So I guess that's my long winded answer to that. I, I Holy grail, you get a, a design software, which has the slicing software integrated and generative design can go virtually print the part, understand how it influences the design. And it can tell you and navigate you through the waters. We're, we're not there yet. I mean, I, I want to see that happen. I think it would be amazing if that happened at someday where all of it lives in CAD and you're just like, you know, real time iterating on this kind of stuff. But for now, like, yeah, we don't know how to design for FFF. Like, and it, like if, when you try, you just you print it solid. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cause like, that's how yeah. we've been trained. Right. Yep. Like it's a solid part. So yeah, no. And that's why we created smart slice is to help you like design how you want to design, how you know how to design, take it into the slicer and let us help you get what you need on the other end. Yeah. So there are a couple of other parts that you did as part of these, these tests, Jason, it looked like you, you're working on some brackets as well. Do you yep. want to talk to us about those other experiments? Well, that's what I was talking about earlier. The, the, the dash bracket that had the, the flat bar with the post that was, All right, got it. that okay. was still getting, and then we threw in there, um, he, he wanted something tough. It's like, give me something <laughs> tough. And I, I had to think about it for a little bit and it's like, okay, well, you know, when we're, when we're setting up race cars and, and, you know, running through ideas and, you know, I'm trying to think prototyping in the back of my head. It's like, if, if we had the ability to, to make this, it was a top link bracket, the third link bracket for, that goes on the top of a rear end. If, if it was possible that, you know, we could 3d print these, you know, throw it in the printer at four o'clock at night, come in the next morning, they're done. Let's bolt them up and run the suspension through travel, not on the track, just, you know, in the race car, but, you know, statically, I think there was like, uh, if I remember right, 400, 450 pounds of, of load in just in one direction. And it was, just, it was too much, you know, uh, too much load for the plastic, but nonetheless, we went through the exercise to see, you know, what the software would kick back and it kicked back what we all thought at the beginning. It's like, yeah, no, it ain't going to work. So it was cool to see that and just you know if nothing else for validation that we should not waste our time printing one of these and then bolting it to a race car and hooking the top link in and setting the car down and it folds up it's like okay well that was an exercise we didn't need to do you know Interesting. so so that's a little bit different that's more like kind of proving out a theory you know hey what would happen if we printed it like this before yep. you ever have to send it to the printer yep. you can figure out what that would result yep. in that's, just that's ask nice. just ask the software it's like hey i want to do this i i i think i'm i'm outside the scope of what fff you know printing can do and you run it through the system and and, and it it'll tell you the the hardest thing that i've that i've found out using the software right now is, is knowing your load constraints. Um, you know, cause so much of the stuff that, that we do, um, it, it, it's hard to quantify that, you know, we don't have the measuring tools or we just simply don't know. So you, you sort of have to guess, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta tell the software how much load to apply. It's like, how hard are you going to hit this or how heavy is this part that you're going to hang off of it? So, um, that's the hardest thing that we've found out with some of the parts that we're using, just, you know, quantifying a load. 
Yeah. So, and that's this is like you know universal, right? Because oh, sure. This, re- this requires like some sort of like engineering training, you yep. know. And like we've taken a stance where it's like, how do we make this as simple as possible, right? Like, there's a whole bunch of FEA packages out on the market right now, right? Like embedded in CAD and all this other kind of stuff, and you get in them and you're like, where do I start? Like, mm-hmm. like. You know, what videos do I have to go watch to get through this? Um, and so we've kind of taken the approach of, like, let's make it as simple as possible. You, you know, holy grail for us, which is what we work towards, is you show us enough things, we'll be able to tell you, like, right. this is what this should look like. And this is yep. probably what you're doing. And all you have to do is say, yeah, like, that looks really good, right? Or I don't, I don't know, let's just move forward with that. So, you know, that's kind of where we want to go. But, yeah, right now it's... There's some sort of still education in the process where you just have to say, I think this is it. So then it's like, I think this is where the load is and how hard I'm pushing on it. And then you say, I, you know, I'm 50% certain. So you take the uncertainty level basically, which is, you know, a factor of safety and say 50% certain too. <laughs> then, right. then the software is like, okay, well, let's just get you in the ballpark, which is what we're, we're really trying to do is say, sure, don't right. go this way go that way right right but I, I agree with you it's, it's way easier to virtually simulate at the end of the day because that takes you what 20 minutes rather than right. printing it and putting it on on right because yep. then you've wasted a day so right so let's talk about that a bit i mean at the end of the day it's really about what kind of value you get from using something so let me ask you jason now that you've had a chance to work with smart slice on a few different parts you what what made you unique in my mind the reason i reached out to you is because you're developing so many different parts all the time mm-hmm. it's not like you're just printing the same thing over and over nope. again you're constantly coming up with new things and each one has a different set of requirements so what do you see going forward do you think that smart slice is going to be a part of your default sort of prototyping process going forward now that you have access to this tool oh 100% i, I again i because again, I you know we're a small company. You know we've got nine guys here, and 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 I'm the one and only engineer, and so it, I can't I can only do so much. And if if the the time spent, the time that I get back from using the software and not reprinting something or opening up SolidWorks and changing the the geometry of the print or or the CAD model or it, all that time saved is something that I can move on to the next thing while, while it's printing and I, and I don't have to worry about it. And, and you know, there, there's a handful of things that we don't run through smart slice because it doesn't matter. It, it, it's right. a, it's a widget, but, but the, <laughs> the fun, the functional parts that, you know, that, that need to be good right out of the bat. It's, it's, it's a default run it through there. And in, you know, when we started talking, I I don't know how many times now I've used Smart Slice to know what materials are actually available because I can't. Every time I talk to you, Jeremy and and Doug and all you guys, it's like I learn about new materials that are out there because I don't. I simply don't have the time to you know sit down and read through the white papers and go to everybody's website and stay on top of it. So. Right. I, I've used a, a, a half a dozen times now. I've opened up Smart Slice and just scrolled through the the stuff that's available. It's like, what is that? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And I, I think that's really good. And that's really good for the audience, too, like listening is, 
one another customer that we have said it really well, and I kind of I totally believe it is. I don't think smart slice is meant to be like a, a flathead screwdriver, right? It's kind of oh, that sure. tool that sits in your toolbox when you need it. Mm-hmm. Really, you're really happy you have it, and, right? And that that's okay. Like we as a company and we like as users should be okay with that, right? Like it's all about saving you money, and as long as your ROI is attached to it and it's providing value, then like it should be in your toolbox. Right. Yep. So, yep. Yep. Hey, those uh, piston trays that you've made now that you've printed some of them using these optimized settings from smart slice, mm-hmm. have any of those worked their way back to your customers? Have you gotten any feedback on those new ones? Had none have broke so far. So <laughs> I, I, I again, it could be luck or it's like, yep, nope, we hit the optimal design for, you know, 99% of the cases out there. But yeah, none, none have that I'm aware of have made, have, have broken since we've done it. We've done probably two more batches of 20 of those. So there's okay. probably another 40 and, out there that, that. And, and no reports of breakage. Nope. That's a good sign. Knock, nope. knock on wood. Knock right. and exactly. Thanks, well, Jeremy. You, you, you just wrecked it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully, none of those customers listen to this podcast and they're like, uh right. Yeah, it's like, hey, let's see if we can Jason, break this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, but but again, yeah. you know, we we've run the the. Well, here, hang on. Let me think a second. I don't think anything that I have run through Smart Slice has failed. So yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure nothing, not, all the parts that we've run through there, none of them have failed. So what? again, knock on wood. Yeah, I know. So, like to spend now, more now pressure you, on. Now you have a now you have a whole bunch. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go but, talk to but, the team and be like, gosh, guys. Right, right. But but again, I so much of the stuff that we design it goes back to what you were saying, Doug, about design intent. You know, when when you're laying this part out, it's like we try to, like we know we're making this out of plastic so you know over engineer it a little bit and make it thicker than it you know than it needs to be here and there so design intent when you're when you're drawing these parts up goes into it and for the most part everything that we draw we we over design a little bit and then let smart slice make up the difference with you know in doing it in fff and using pla or abs or you know carbon whatever the material is and let mm-hmm. it make up for the deficiencies of not using the metal, you know? Yeah. So it, it's, and it, yeah. it works fine. Yeah. Like you're not, you don't have an isotropic material in that design. Right. And like, right. Like, and by, by like for the listeners, isotropic, it's basically like if you pull on it, it responds the same. Like if you pull it on it any direction, right. That, that's kind of what it means. And the opposite of that is anisotropic, which basically means if you pull on it in one direction and another direction, it responds completely different, which is why, yep build orientation matters so much in strength and stiffness for FFF parts. But yeah, I, I agree. I, and I think that's the perfect, you know, way to go about it is yeah. Design it like you were designing it with metal over design a little bit and then yep. allow smart slice to guide you in the direction that you need to go. Right. Yep. And it might tell you, Hey, this isn't possible. And it happens to us all the time. We'll put something in there and it comes back and says, this isn't going to work. So change yep. the material or change the geometry. 
Right. <laughs> yep. And it'll tell you like on the geometry, this is where it's not going to work. So go modify that one. Right. If you don't yep. want to change material. So. And one the way, the way that you guys lay out the software, I mean, it, it shouts at you like with big red signs. It's yeah, like right. Hey, right here. <laughs> yeah. You know? So it, it's and typically when, when I've run across situations like that, I'll go back to design and that's the first place I'll go. Instead of asking all these different materials, it's like, well, if that's a weakness, is there something that I can do design-wise to change that to to alleviate that stress area? And then if not, then it's like, well, smart, you got what you got. You know, here, go find exactly. me some materials or settings that'll work. And yeah. and it's it's one of the things you, you hit click, you go do something else in the shop, and 15, 20 minutes later, it's run its deal. You pick one and go. Yeah. So. And, and I think that's really good feedback too, you know, because there is like, we, I think we're just keep going back to this bi-directional thing where the easiest thing to do is just to go back to your design software and say, let me just tweak that a little Like, what is that? Right. A five, a five minute change for you probably. Right. And then yep. you just get to go ask smart slice again. I mean, like, like, yep. like Holy grail for you, Jason, like what, what would this look like? You know, cause right now you're probably starting in CAD and an idea and you design something, you take it to the slicer, which I would imagine mm -hmm. is what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Then maybe you're working with smart slice and asking it what to do. And then, then you go backwards or do you go print it? Like, like what would be, you know, ideal state for you? Let's say like well, uh, two years. So, now. well, it, typically I'm, I'm not quite sure how to answer, but typically the, the, like I said, the first thing that I'll look at is when it comes back is I, like, just look at it right here in Kira, and it's like it, where it says it's failing. Is there something that I can do design-wise to to change this? Whether it's add fillets or or beef it up, more material, change angles, what whatever it is, and or change orientation. Yep. And and if if I don't think anything can be done there, then it's then like I said, I just I I let. I let smart slice. It's like, Hey, find me a material that's got the right safety factor that I'm looking for. And, and let's try it. And then we'll print it. And, you know, it, assuming it's a big print, you know, come back the next day and, and see if, see if it worked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm going to hijack that a little bit. So if this all lived in your CAD like design system, would that make it easier for you? Oh, 100%. What are you using right now? SolidWorks. Okay. Like, like okay, like 90% of the population. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> this whole, <laughs> yep. No, yep. yeah. This, so, this whole town operates off of SolidWorks, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that's kind of where I'm going, right? And that's where, you know, we as, a, as Teton, as a company, see this, you know, three, five years from now is, like, this all should just live in your design software, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, like, why are we shifting through multiple pieces of software to accomplish one goal? Yep. Right. And, so. and we, you know, we've got, we've got FEA and SolidWorks. you know, uh, we've yeah. got the, whatever version you're supposed to have to get all that, but it, it's not applicable to 3d printing. No. It, so, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, we, you work with what you got. So yep. yeah. In, in a, in the great, in, in a perfect world, it'd be nice to draw it right in there and just hit a button. It's like, Hey, I want to print this thing. Are, are we good? Yeah. You know? And it looks at it and it's like, eh, not really. Let's tweak this or change that. And then just send it to the printer, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then everything lives. Yeah, in I agree. I mean, 
Because right now, you know, I don't use SolidWorks, but I use Fusion 360, and they have some slicing capabilities built in there. But it's like so basic; yeah. it's, it's almost like it was an afterthought to them. You yeah, know? I think SolidWorks has that too. They've got 3D printing capabilities, but I, to be honest with you, I've never even tried it. So it, it just can't compare with right. Cura. Mm-hmm. So until they get that to the right level, it's going to be hard to put it all in one place. Yeah, yep. and I think we have to be honest with ourselves too. I mean, the printer manufacturers have invested a lot, a lot of money into these slicing programs, and the reason right. is is they need to make sure that their customers are sorry as successful as they possibly can be, which inevitably means there's a whole bunch of IP that's tied up in these slicing programs, right? So right. creating mm-hmm. a slicer or a, a printer manufacturer or printer agnostic slicing tool in a CAD software, it it doesn't right now work. And that's because you're not acquiring the IP that is needed to make sure that the customers are as successful as possible. Right. So this again, kind of comes back to like trust and confidence where there's a reason all these slicer programs are tied to printers because like they work. Yep. And they work well and like on default settings. Exactly. I, like right out of the box. It's like, here, don't eat, don't change anything. Just hit print. You'll be pretty good. Exactly. It, it, like, will that change in the future? I mean, like the cam industry, it changed in the cam industry, right? Where oh, yeah. you saw a whole bunch of consolidation and then like there were a few that emerged out of it. That, that might happen. We, we don't know. But I, all I know is like, I want it to be in CAD as a user. Like I'm not even like, I, I use the software, right? Like we all use the software here at t mm-hmm. but as a user, I want it to live in CAD. I want it to be like CAM. I want it to be as easy as CAM, right? Yep. It's just not there right now. So, yeah. Well, I wanted to ask about that. So let's continue on that for a moment, Doug. They, I, I was going to ask you about sort of the, the plans for the future for Smart Slice. And I don't know if there's anything else you can share. That's a, one ambitious goal. Anything else that you have in <laughs> mind for future uh, capabilities or anything for this roadmap? Yeah, I mean, like at the end of the day, from a business standpoint, right, it's all about increasing our total addressable market. Um, and so there's two ways you can kind of think of that. One is what problems you need to solve that are pervasive in the industry. And the other is like, have you addressed all the users out there in FFF or in other processes? And it's no <laughs> to both of those. So there's a there's you know a huge area that we can go attack. But at the end of the day, it's how do we integrate with more slicers, right? We want to make sure that we can provide this technology to everyone who has a 3D printing process because the problem is pervasive across different printers and different processes. So we want to do that. Mm-hmm. The other is something that we're pretty excited about is the National Science Foundation has given us a grant to look into predicting warpage and delamination off a build plate. So you could actually create smart slice to go back to a user and say, don't print it like this because it's going to peel off the build plate. It's going to pop. Yeah. Or you're going to have a DLAM in the middle of this, right? Which Hmm. that, right. (laughs) So this is, this is a huge (laughs) problem. It's a huge, huge problem. And it, it, it spans way past functional parts. Like, a tchotchke has this problem. Like if you could just click a mm-hmm. button and say like thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. Can I print it? That's well, cool. it would seem to me that if you're going to move in that direction, maybe a, an even more achievable goal would be to incorporate print orientation and the analysis to be able to actually analyze different orientations yeah. and figure out the optimal. Yeah. So that's, that's on the roadmap too. Um, that's something that we hear a lot, Excellent. right? And that's something that actually popped out of this case study 
that we did with Jason uh, on that. Yeah, that was the first question I asked when they when they came back and showed me the results. I'm like, well, will it tell you the best way to orient? And they're like, no, not yet. Right, not (laughs) now. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's really tricky too. Because what is best? Well, it depends on what you're looking for, right? What and what's important in the outcome? And this this is why we give users multiple options, right? So when we come back after an optimization, we we don't say do it this way. I think that is the wrong way to approach an optimization. What we do is come back and say, here are like five different things that you could do. And Mm -hmm. you, we can't capture all your requirements, right? Like we just can't. There's some, no, because you don't know the end use. There's too many variables for you to take. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So we say you're an engineer, figure out like you decide which ones you want to take forward. And that's how, that's what we're trying to do with build orientation optimization. Cause like, as Jason said, that is the first question we get from every single customer is like, can you tell me the best orientation? It's like for yeah. strength, we totally could. And stiffness, we totally could come back and be like, this is the best orientation. But what we're not getting there is like, do you care about that? Like, what is the balance of the support material that you're going to have to use? Yeah. Does Where do it, you want the, which surfaces need to look the best? Does you know, it fit a lot into your build envelope yeah. when you do it that way? Like yeah. there's all these different things that kind of come in there and, and that's kind of, you know, the team's getting their head wrapped around it right now, but we definitely want to do that. We also want to include like a full on material suggestion. Cause right now we say, Hey, go try different materials. We just allow you to select materials and you can go try them. We also want to come back and say, hey, these three materials, they work. And like, it's a great idea. And then you can say, buy now. Like, because then right. we can integrate yeah. with like whoever and just like you right. click on it, buy, and then the material comes and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. So, yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff we can do here, right? But it, it really comes down to pervasiveness in the market and how severe the problem is um, to solve. So, so Jason, I. Uh... I've said it before. I thought you would be a really good candidate to explore this product. And, and again, part of the reason has to do with the the diversity of things you're doing Mm -hmm. with 3d printing, but you know, there's another interesting aspect here and that you are a person who comes from a manufacturing background Mm -hmm. who was doing that before knowing anything about 3d printing, right? Then getting into 3d printing and doing it kind of the hard way of just trial and error. Mm -hmm. And then going to this this sort of next level of 3D printing with Smart Slice. So in a sense, I see you as going through all of these phases. Tell me a little bit about what your experience has been through that before 3D printing and then with 3D printing and then after, uh, you know, adding Smart Slice into the mix. So my experience with, with just how we designed parts back in the day or... Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is I'm assuming that you've seen benefits in what you're able to do and how quickly and how cost-effectively once you add it in 3D printing. Yes. And then are you, are you seeing that benefit improve further with the addition of Smart Slice? Are you seeing this as a way of leveraging those benefits that you're getting from 3D printing even further on a, at a financial level, I guess, is what I'm looking for? Well, so as all these printers get better and the software is advancing, the the parts that we were printing five or six years ago, I mean, they they looked okay, and they they were they were functional. But now, with the finishing techniques and 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 again, how the software is keeping up with your with your feed and your flow rates, and and you can produce really good end use parts that take very minimal effort after cleaning up and deburring and and whatnot. So. So what I was looking at using 3D printing for five years ago, now we're looking at 
how can we make take this 3D printer where the cost to run it is actually really low. I mean, the, the printers don't cost much, and in all reality, the filament costs hardly anything. You know, when you look at the cost of any part that you make, it's, you know, I got like, you know, $3 worth of material in this. It's, it's nothing. So we're looking at how we can use 3D printing for end-use products right here. The only downside I can say about 3D printing is volume. You know, mm -hmm. if, if, exactly. if there's something that you want high volume of, you either need to buy a lot of printers or do something else, you know, uh, you know, go back to machine shops that can, that can crank these out, but that that's the only drawback. So, so yeah, we're 3d printing is still, you know, mainly prototyping, but so it's the so it sounds like this. It's, it's like the in-use products. It, it's designed correctly, and if it's strong enough, the in-use product is right there. So I hear you. Yeah, and that's that very much reflects my experience too. So the the machines and the materials have gotten better to the point that you can get much higher quality parts out of these machines. Yeah. And it sounds like what Smart Slice is doing is primarily a time-saving tool because, as you mentioned, the, the machines aren't all that expensive. The materials aren't all that expensive. It's the people's time that's going to cost you money over Correct. the long run, right? Correct. So if Smart Slice can cut out some of the time of having to do all that trial and error, mm -hmm. that's where your savings are going to come from. Yep. And, and, and again, on the, on the let's call them production runs of parts uh, again going back to my piston trays you know what 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 would take you know nine days to print i can do in six and a half and it's like well there's there's two and a half days of of open printer that i've got that i can move on to the next project and that's that's huge you know that, that's huge. especially if that's a part you got to print more than once right and it starts to add up yeah, yep. i mean like half of it's just increasing throughput right i mean as an end right. user jason right like it's i would imagine like tying up a machine is just taking you away from something else. And like, yep. you know, that's, that's a true statement, but I mean, I, I think like a user's likelihood of buying another machine increases if they can show that they can increase the throughput of the machine. Right. Correct. Does that make, does that make sense? Right. A hundred percent. So you, I don't think we're going to cross the volume barrier anytime soon. Like, that's a... I, I, I don't either because it's, 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 own, it's a, the nature of the beast. I mean, it's, you know, we're printing one layer at a time. We can only go so fast. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but definitely like if you can eke out efficiency gains in any kind mm -hmm. of aspect of it, that's a big value proposition for anyone in 3d printing. So I'm happy yep, to hear absolutely. You. Yeah, I mean, it's it's long been talked about the fact that the the key value of 3D printing is is customization. That that customization is free. You can you do whatever you need. But the the flip side of that is customization adds that complexity in because you're doing something new and you got to figure out each time how do I orient it, how do I print it, mm -hmm. how, you know. And so this to me really helps with with that side of the, you know, taking advantage of that flexibility of 3D printing in a way that doesn't necessarily complicate things and add a lot of time to your workflow. Right. So that's what, that's what excites me. Yep. Uh, just right now we're printing, uh, it, it's a, it's a bracket to hold, um, <laughs> a data acquisition sensor on a, on a little bar. And there, there was no reason for me at all to run this through smart slice. Cause it's, it's not, okay. again, there, it, 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 it's holding a little one ounce, uh, piece of electronics but I ran it through Smart Slice, and I think because I'm printing 20 of these things at a time, and it knocked like an hour and a half out of the print. <laughs> so, so it's like, well, cool, you know. Yeah. They, and 
just using it for the time savings is worth is worth the price of smart slice to me just just the time savings let alone the failed prints and you know making sure that the the part is strong enough for the application and whatnot just the time savings alone is i i it's already paid for itself and i haven't had the software for what two two, three months two months there you go so yeah (laughs) that's great what what i like to hear the most and this is really why i wanted to get on the call with, with you jason is just like the confidence that it allows you to have moving oh, forward, for sure. right? Um, yep. You know, and I'll be interested to hear your opinion on this, uh, Jason, as well. Maybe we can, this can be the ending note. But I, I firmly believe, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of market consolidation happening, happening in the 3D printer space right now. I firmly believe the ones that are going to be successful and emerge victorious or winners are going to be the ones that create ecosystems where their customers are so successful that they there's don't... no reason to go anywhere else. exactly right. and yep. the barrier to exit's pretty high too right yep. so i i'm lucky and teton's lucky in that you know we work with a lot of different printer manufacturers and we get to see the landscape and how it how it consolidates you know i don't want to give plugs to ultimaker here but we, we absolutely love working with ultimaker um, they are an awesome partner they were the first to adopt us uh, as you know, a software provider, and they definitely are working on some of that ecosystem play. But uh, mm-hmm. Jason, I'd like to get your your opinion on that too. You know, kind of what you're seeing out in the th- the industry and 3D printing, and even on the material side. You know? So, like, you know, how you view the landscape? Who do you like? How do you you chose Ultimaker for a reason? I think you know you chose it because Jeremy kind of was like, hey, maybe because well, he steered me. <laughs> yeah. I, and and I know we <laughs> joked about it that one time. It's like, yeah. well, why'd you choose Ultimaker? It's like because that's what Jeremy told me to buy. I and and yeah, I, I you know. I, and, and, and for and me, I, it was about the reliability. I mean, sure. there's a lot of good machines out there, but yeah. I, I like Ultimaker when it comes to wanting a machine that will do what it's supposed to do so you can focus on your business. And, and that seemed that was like my what big Jason thing. was looking it's like, for. Well, yeah, when I called, it's like, I want to print. I don't want to work on it. it like yeah. if, if And there's a lot of guys out there, and, and God bless them, that, that want to buy the kits and – you know, put all the stepper motors together and wire it and Arduino boards. And it's a dude, you can have that. I like, I've got, I need to have a printer that I can send something to it and hit go and it goes. Yeah. And you got a company to run. <laughs> I, I, absolutely. And you know, I've had to work on these printers. You know, I had a stepper motor go bad and some hot ends that, that, you know, finally quit working on us, but mm-hmm. it, there's, I can't see me ever wanting to buy anything else because even with this new one, I got the S five sitting back here and we're getting ready to buy another one because I, I don't, there's no issue there. They have given me no reason to look any further. Yeah. And again, not, not plug in Ultimaker. It's just, it yeah. happens to be what I landed on, but yeah, you know, and going back to what you said earlier, Doug, that's these, these printers, as everybody's consolidating, those are the guys that are going to win. It's like, all you got to do is get them in the door and then there's no reason to look anywhere else that the printer has never not been able to do anything I've asked it to do. Yeah. And there's know? like a barrier of exit there. Right. And like you, right. like it's just too high for you right now. Right. Like you're just like, yep. oh, there's no reason. Right. Which there's is no like, reason. That's a fine barrier. Well, this has been a great discussion. I certainly hope our viewers have found this useful. For more information, visit us at shop3duniverse.com. That's where you can find the Smart Slice software. And you can always visit 3duniverseuntethered.com for the full list of upcoming episodes and recordings of previous ones. Hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.